I know I'm big, but I really can't fulfil that task of being um, all over the southwest. Can't do that. Um, so I, I just sort of do what I can do, and um, trust the Lord that He places me in the right places, and um, and He does, and that's that's good. Um, if you open your Bibles to Second Samuel chapter eleven, Second uh, Samuel chapter eleven. And we'll read a few verses from that chapter. I want to thank you very much for for um, allowing me to come here and to uh, share the word with you. Um, it's been uh, it's been a really good day. I said this morning that I was really encouraged when I came into the church when I sat at the back, and I did it, I did it deliberately. I wasn't being horrible or anything. Just I wanted to sit at the back and I wanted to see what kind of church I was coming to, and um, I, I usually do that. And unfortunately, very often I. I have the uh, have the horrible realization that I've come to a church that isn't very friendly, and uh, then I have to preach, um, and it's not very nice. But actually, when I came here this morning, um, you were very welcoming, and uh, thank you very much for your very warm welcome uh, to me this morning. A stranger, you didn't know who I was, and uh, you made me very welcome, and Obviously, for the meal this afternoon, um, I really wanted to sleep after having the meal, but um, I had to come down here and speak to folks, and I was—I thought I was going to nod off. But um, when I spoke to folks, I, I, I was really encouraged with some of the things that we were speaking about, and uh, really blessed by that. Really encouraged of where the church is and what it, it, it wants to do, and that's an, a real encouragement. Especially when uh, you know yourself, churches all over the country are closing um, and being made into uh, whatever it's been made into. But just a little bit of encouragement. Um, uh, some some places are actually buying pubs now and changing the pubs. My mum's church up in Peterhead uh, bought a, a, a pub, a big, huge pub up in, in Peterhead and uh, have turned it into a church. Uh, so there are encouragements in, in certain places. So um, uh, that's me. That's good. But thank you once again for all that you've done. Uh, you've looked after me very well. Um, I mean, I was big when I came, but I think I'm a little bit bigger now that I've gone. I'm supposed to be on a diet as well. I go to Slimming World. What are you laughing at? <laughs> I do. I go to Slimming World. And uh, it's amazing the opportunities that I get to speak to people at uh, Slimming World. Uh, I put on a pound last week. It's great. Brilliant, brilliant diet. Um, I put a pound on last week and, uh, and, and felt really bad about myself. So I went over to this thing called the Pie Stop. And uh, I thought it was about pies and everything, but it's not. It's about breakfast. And you get a Slimming World breakfast there. And so I went over and I said, can I have a Slimming World breakfast? And once a few of the ladies were sitting uh, on the table, and they said, come on, sit beside us. And uh, a lot of the people there know that I'm a Christian, and uh, the only thing that I can say that makes any sense to them, what I do, as I say, I'm a minister, because they don't understand anything else. Um, so we were sitting speaking, and um, this lady got up, and she had uh, a earring in, and so on and so forth, an earring in her eye, and an earring in her nose and everything, which is... You know, if you want an earring in your nose, that's fine. Um, and so the, she said, one of the ladies said to her, you're, you're, you're a minister's wife, aren't you? Yeah, I'm a minister's wife, but we're a progressive church. 
And she said, what do you mean a progressive church? Well, I don't believe in God and all that stuff. And my, my husband, well, he, it's a job. And I thought, am I going to say something here? Lord, help me just to say something. And uh, for some reason, I kept my mouth shut. I don't usually, as you can tell. Um, and uh, I sat there for a while, and then they started speaking to me and started asking me a load of questions, and then finally said, so what do you do? <laughs> well, I'm a kind of a minister. Jaw dropped. And they looked at me and they said, you're a wee bit different than her. But why is that? I said, well, one, she isn't a Christian because she's already told you that. <laughs> and I am because Christ is in my life. And their uh, opportunity to share the gospel with those ladies around that table, just because I go to the fat club, uh, Slim and World. <laughs> my, my woman who is in Slim and World would really go nuts with me for calling it Fat Club. But it is Fat Club. It's for fat people who've got a thin person inside who wants to come out. I've got two or three thin people inside me. <laughs> anyway, uh, don't record that, please. <laughs> Stop. Um, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 to 4, I think we'll go to. It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and beseeched Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David went and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you love us and you care for us and you're compassionate, you're gracious, you're long-suffering toward us. And Father, there are many here this evening who know that in their own lives. And many who have felt your grace and your mercy and your touch upon them. And we have responded in a way that is positive to you because you've allowed us to. But we realize too, Father, that there might be those here who have not. But have seen grace, have felt grace have sown mercy in other people's lives. And we pray, Father, that you would touch them too, that you would cause them to see that which we have seen, that we have seen our sinfulness, that we have seen the loveliness of Christ and all that he is and all that he's done and all that he continues to do in us. Bless your word this evening, we do pray. Speak to each one of us, hearer and speaker alike. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you look at the life of David, you could get the image of a man who was very close to God. Someone that is away up there spiritually. Far better than us mortals. He has faith to fight Goliath. He has a good relationship with his enemy uh, Saul's son, Jonathan. He does the right thing when it comes to having an opportunity of killing the man that was chasing him. In other words, he didn't kill him. 
He was a man of integrity in many cases, a man of faith, a man that God says, a man after God's own heart. But as you come into this passage that we have read and those verses that we have read together, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we read a very different story. It's like, it can't be. It must be another David, surely. This isn't the same David that, that had faith to kill Goliath, who had faith to have a slingshot and hit him between the eyes. It looks a little bit like a Jekyll and Hyde story, doesn't it? Praise Lord for Jekyll and Hyde stories. Don't you feel it in your own heart if you're a Christian? The Jekyll and Hyde. You know, your face is hidden on a Sunday because you want to hide everything that you're doing through the week. And you don't want anybody to see the head taken off of you or the top of the head and looked inside. And all the mess. And all the thoughts. David was only a human being. But as you look at these events, there's a sequence of events that lead to an unexpected consequence. Here is a sequence. A lazy day leads to David on his palace roof, looking down and seeing a lady wash. He asks around to find out who she is and finds out that she's a married woman. Mind you, so is David. Well, he's not a married woman, he's a married man. But he's married. David sends someone to get her. She came and he sleeps with her and after a while she informed her of her being pregnant. David decides to sort it out by trying to get her husband Uriah to sleep with her so that the sin will be covered up. Uriah wouldn't. Showed more integrity than David. So he finally gets Joab to do his dirty work for him. And Joab organizes the death of Uriah the Hittite. All is sorted, the perfect crime, it's all covered up. Nobody knows. (laughs) Oh dear. He forgot about God. And God who sees all and knows all sends Nathan the prophet to confront David And ultimately deal with David. You'd wonder, is this really a man after God's own heart? He falls so far. Is there any hope for us? (laughs) It's amazing, isn't it, that there are only three verses describing David's sin of adultery with Bathsheba. David's guilt and sinfulness in these three verses, but it's not written in a way that makes us think unclean thoughts. In fact, I would say the reverse. It makes us wonder at the wickedness of David's heart and makes us reflect, or should make us reflect, on our own hearts. How far can we go? Or how far have we gone? So let's look at it. Firstly, David sleeps while the army fights. The Israelites are fighting the Ammonites. And verse 1 says, uh, we are told by the text that it is spring, the time when kings go to war. Weather had an effect on warfare at that time. It still does sometimes, doesn't it? Battles have been won and lost due to the season. Winter 
isn't a good time to fight, just ask Napoleon. So they wait for the spring. And at that time, what they do is they go around the place that they're uh, going against and they wait. The army is under the command of Joab. The Ammonites seem to have retreated into their capital and the fortress city of Rabbah. Every man who is able to fight goes to war except one, David. David, we are told, stayed in Jerusalem. That's okay, isn't it? He's the king. He's allowed to have a couple of days off. Why is it so wrong for David to stay at home? While the rest of the men of Israel go to war against the Ammonites. After all, he's the king. Well, the first thing you see is that he leads the nation into war. That's one of the main tasks of the king. It was one of the reasons why the people of Israel chose, wanted God to give him a king. They wanted someone to lead them into battle. All the other ones had, but all they had was God. And they thought, I want, we want someone to lead us into battle. Someone we can see. Someone who is big and strong and handsome. The people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel, didn't they? And they said, No, there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the other nations. That our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. If you remember, Saul got David to go to war for him. That didn't work out very good for Saul, did it? Remember, they sang about Saul killing hundreds and David killing thousands. And it made Saul pretty angry about it. So when Saul stays at home, not very good. When David stays at home, it wasn't very good. It began a jealousy of David in Saul's heart because they sang those things. It reminds us that when God gives us a position to take up in church through church, then we must do it properly with a humble heart and not pass the book. And very often, church leadership and church leaders pass the book. Church leaders have to stand and stand firm and be those who lead. David had been leading the people of Israel into battle, but here he stops and says to Joab to lead. Passing the book. Again, lessons are not learned. It just causes chaos. Leadership may be a lonely place. It may be a tiring place, but it is a place given by God and must be taken seriously and done with diligence. Well, what keeps David home in Jerusalem? Why doesn't David go to the battle? I'm going to suggest a few things. First, David is arrogant. You see, God has been with David in every situation, the lion, the bear, the giant, with Saul, all the battles against the Philistines. God had blessed David with victory. And God has kept David safe from his enemies, from the soul, from the armies. The people of Israel thought so much of David, they sang songs about him. 
He saw the winds. He heard the people. And he began to believe that he could just get others to fight his wars for him. As he was becoming so arrogant. He forgot God and his position in God. David was to lead from the front. He started believing the nice press reviews about him. Be careful when people speak good of you. (laughs) You start believing it. He forgot that it was God that had won the battles and not him. And unfortunately lessons that he had learned he forgot. Second reason may be boredom. He was used to quick wins. He, he knew this one would be a sit and wait and they besieged Rabbah. It's a whole different kind of war. It will take time to starve the Ammonites to the point that they surrender. So he was bored. It's a nice word for young folk, isn't it? I'm bored. Well, David wasn't that young and he was bored. The third reason comes from the second, really, is David getting a bit soft. David had done some very hard times, living in caves, running away from Saul. Now he was in a palace where he could call a servant to get food. He had a nice bed. He had a nice feather pillow. I'm not quite sure if he had a nice feather pillow, but I'm just making it up. You know. But you can just imagine, can't you? Rather than a brick, rather than the dirt to lie on, he had comfort. And to go into war and to go outside in a tent in a field, I'm beyond that now. I'm the king. (laughs) And anyway, my lumbago's playing up. You can just hear him say, I deserve a little time for myself. And fourthly, David got lazy. It says that David does not get up until evening. That's one long sleep. That is until it's time for a soldier to go to bed. That is probably a habit developed over days and not just a one-time event. It was very unlikely that David is doing any kingly work in the wee hours of the night. From all appearance, David is simply indulging himself. And here's the man after God's own heart. Second thing, David gets bored, so he has a look around. He can see right across Jerusalem. Finally, there's no proof that David went looking for something to feast his eyes on. More than likely, he's walking about absent-mindedly, really. When suddenly his eyes fix on something that rivets his attention. On a woman bathing herself. We're not told where the woman is bathing. We only know that she is within sight of David's rooftop. David sees her beauty. He does not know who she is or whether she is married. Nothing at all. He just sees a figure and says. We can't be certain how much David sees. But if David saw more of this woman than he should. He should have diverted his eyes. Should he not? Third, David makes inquiries. And one said, 
Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? The information that David gets is enough for him to go no further. After all, he's married. She didn't went any further. And she's married. He cannot go any further. He would be committed adultery. He should have taken a leaf out of Joseph's book and run a mile. Back to the battle. But he was in a battle now. But actually there was no battle. Not only is she married, but he would have known Uriah. In 2 Samuel chapter 23 and verse 39, Uriah the Hittite is mentioned and it says uh, that he was one of David's mighty men, known for his bravery and courage as a soldier. If he does not know that, surely someone there among his servants would inform him. I read that some people think that David, um, just reading some of the commentaries, some people say that David might have looked at this racially and he might have thought, uh, well, Uriah was a Hittite and he didn't deserve an Israelite, Israelite woman, an Israelite wife. Yet it is obvious that Uriah chose to become a part of Israel and fight for it, becoming a proselyte, a little like one of David's descendants, Ruth the Moabite. And you can hear him think, can't you? He's not worthy. She's beautiful. Worthy of a king. She should be mine. I'll have her. I read someone say that the sin that David commits has the same sequence as the Garden of Eden. They saw, they desired, and they took. Isn't that how it always works? We see, we desire, and we take. Not how sin works. I know we're speaking about David's sin here, but I, I want to dispel some myths about Bathsheba. She gets some pretty bad press in Christian churches. It's clear from the words of our text that David had sinned. Nathan speaks to David, he does not speak to Bathsheba. Many wish to view the text in a way that forces Bathsheba to share David's sin. So in this way, give David an excuse. Because we need to make an excuse for David. Because David was a man after God's own heart. And he was a man of faith. So we've got to make an excuse for him. Because then it blows everything apart, so we think. But actually, when you start to look at it, that's not the case. People say that Bathsheba was exposing herself and it may have been deliberate. That's what some people say. But nowhere in the Bible is she indicated for this sin. Nowhere at all. You see, we look at it in the Western's eye, a Western person's eyes. We live in a day when a woman has the legal right to say no at any point in a romantic relationship. If the man refuses to stop, it's regarded as rape. It didn't work that way for women then. That's not how it worked. David sees this woman bathing and notes that she is very beautiful. And it's virtually the identical words employed in our text, very beautiful in appearances, that are found in Genesis chapter 24, verse 16 about Rebekah. As she came to the well with a water jug on her shoulder, 
it says Rebecca, uh, Rebecca was neither naked nor partially clothed. But the verse says she was very beautiful in appearance. So when we look at that, we look at it and, oh, oh, she must have been undressed. Not necessarily. If we're saying that, then we're saying that Rebecca was. Well, Rebecca wasn't. She came to the well with her water jug on her shoulder. She was very beautiful in appearance. I believe one of the reasons David summons Bathsheba to his place is that he has not seen all that he wishes to see. Bathsheba is bathing herself in some place normally used for such purposes. Only David with his vantage would be able to see her. Bathsheba is not bathing herself at high noon. She's bathing herself in the evening. This is when the law prescribed for ceremonial cleansing. You know what that means. And it's when the sun is setting. In other words, it's nearly dark when Bathsheba sets out to wash herself. David has to work to see what he sees. He's looking with too much zeal. Dare I suggest that David was more of a peeping Tom than Bathsheba is trying it on with David. It gets worse. David's sin gets worse the more that we think. In some instances, a woman may purposely or unwittingly encourage the one who comes towards her. Not that that gives anybody an excuse to do anything. In this case, there is not so much as a hint that takes place. This takes place. In fact, David's sighting of Bathsheba is the result of her keeping the law. While David is failing in his responsibility as king. Now, I don't have got the time to go into it because that lady took more than... No, I'm joking. (laughs) I am joking. But I don't have the time to go into that. But you look into it for yourselves. There's a few things that I want to take out of what what we've been speaking about. David's sin is rooted in pride. He has become so puffed up and so arrogant because of his success and status in Israel as king. He has come to see himself as different, better than the rest of the Israelites. You see, before what he was, he was a leader among men. What had he become? A lazy, arrogant, proud man. They need to go to war, he doesn't. They need to sleep in the open field, he needs to get rest in his own bed in the palace. They can have a wife, he can have whoever he wants. We have to beware the sin of pride, thinking that we're better because we have been a Christian for a long time. And we look down on people who have just become Christians and the words that they use. It's so easy to do. Oh, they don't use the right words, you know. They don't use the right version of the Bible, you know. Because we're Christians for a long time or have a long line of Christians, parent after parent after parent. Or our testimony is something out of the ordinary. 
people begin to puff us up. So if you've come from a bad background and you've suddenly become a Christian, you're put on a pedestal. That's what happened to my dad. My dad was put on a pedestal and looked up at. Look what God can do. No, no. <laughs> what our church can do. And it nearly destroyed him. No, you see, we're only Christians because of the grace of God. We only stand before God perfect in the righteousness of Christ because of Christ's righteousness. Not our own. If God was to go from us, we would be a mess. But thankfully he doesn't. Because we're secure in Christ. Although the gospel changes people's lives, always for the better, doesn't it? It can make some people think that they're better than others. It's sometimes called the gospel lift. You ever heard of that, the gospel lift? I became middle class all of a sudden. <laughs> I came from a minking, stinking, horrible life. And when I became a Christian, my dad bought his house because he had money. He bought a car. And suddenly... I became middle class and suddenly I thought I was better than others when really I was no better than anybody else no better or no worse the gospel lift you see when you have the gospel lift you have more money because you don't spend your money on the rubbish that you used to spend your money on did you you don't spend it on drinking women and gambling and all that kind of stuff you Spend it on your family. <laughs> or you should be giving it to church. If you have a position in church, you're no better than anyone else. If you're an evangelist, you're no better than anybody else. We are no better than the person sitting next to you. But David thought he was. And that was his problem. Nothing makes you any better than anybody else. Christ makes a difference in your life. And Christ makes you the person that you are. Because you're secure in him. And he gives you freedom. Lest we forget what we are without Christ. David did. David abused his power. He sent the men to war. He sent for Bathsheba. He sent for Uriah. He ordered Joab to do wrong. That's not servant leadership, is it? Isn't Jesus a servant? He had lost it in the power struggle. Sexual abuse and sexual harassment are just two, two ways that people use their power today. And he used it with Bathsheba. We have heard much about the Catholic Church and Jimmy Savile and people in high places using their power to get, kid, get to kids. Believe me, don't think it doesn't happen in evangelical churches as well. It happened in my church in Leeds. 
because of people abusing their power and people not thinking through what was happening. It happens. Some bosses use their power and abuse it, harassing their workforce with which can turn to sexual harassment. This sin is no different than the sin David committed. Of course it is wrong for David to use his power to have a relationship with another man's wife. It's not right to abuse power, even when that relationship is permissible. A husband should not abuse his power with his wife, should not abuse her power of saying no to punish her husband. It's not the opportunity to lord it over our spices. David abused his power and men and women have done it. And it's wrong. Third thing, David's wealth was a snare for him. We all get weary of life, don't we? We all would like for time to put our feet up and relax. I can't wait till I retire. Only a couple of years, hopefully. (laughs) We all get fed up of how we're going to pay the bills. David certainly looked forward to that time when he could stop fleeing from Saul and begin to reign as a king. But let me point out that from that spiritual point of view, or from a spiritual point of view, David never did any better than he did in adversity and weakness. And David never did any worse than when he had prosperity and power. With prosperity and power comes responsibility. And at this point, he didn't cope. (laughs) How many psalms do you think David wrote from his bed in the palace? Only one after this one. I think that was Psalm 51. A psalm of repentance. How much meditation on the law took place when David was in Jerusalem rather than on the battlefield? Now, we are not to be masochists wanting more and more suffering. But on the other hand, we should recognize that success is often a greater test than adversity. In adversity, we can only cling on to God. (laughs) Often when it appears everything's going my way, we are in the greatest danger. And it seemed for David that everything was going his way. Fourthly, David's sin did not just happen. Sin doesn't just happen. Sin does not come out of nowhere. It's like David set himself up for this. He knew he should have been in the battle. He knew he shouldn't have been sleeping all day. He knew he shouldn't have been ogling. He knew he shouldn't have called that woman. He didn't go to the battle choosing instead a life of comfort and ease. You and I make the same decisions, though in a slightly different way. We may choose to ease up on our pursuit of becoming a disciple of our Lord 
Ah, well, I won't go to the prayer meeting this week. Well, I won't go to the church this week. You know, I've had a really good week this week and I've spoken to the Lord twice. So what do I need to come to church for? And we find comfort and ease in not coming. And the more regularly we don't come, the more regularly we have comfort and ease. Because the word isn't listened to anymore. We begin to stop having a disciplined life which causes us to bring our bodies under control. We may weary of taking up our cross and begin to take up ourselves as our highest cause. We may back off in the area of separation, having become weary of being laughed at at our Christian principles. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not not speaking about separation as being weird from this world because we're in this world. We are in this world and we have to be a difference in this world. I said that this morning. But some of us become a bit stupid with it. We're fed up of being laughed at as Christians so we keep quiet rather than bear witness to our faith. I'm fed up of being rejected, you might be saying. We may hold off from rebuking a fellow believer because we love that believer, we rebuke him. That your fellow believer who's fallen into sin because the last time we tried it, it was very messy and I came off the worst. So I ain't doing that again. Been there? Yeah. You see, when we retreat from the battle, a fall is not far away. Some here may have fallen for it, sinned, committed adultery, maybe not with a woman, but with another God. You're not following Jesus as you should have, or you should have been, way back. What's the answer? Psalm 51. You see, we need to look at our own hearts. And we need to make sure that our hearts are right with God and right with others. And we need to look at our intentions as well, our motives in doing the things that we do. What was it Cain, God told Cain, sin crouches, <laughs> at the door and it's so easy to pop its ugly head up when you're least expecting it David was a man after God's own heart and I've got to admit that I am thankful for as we look in the Bible we see the failures of these men Abraham all these men who failed time and time again. And yet God says he's a man after his own heart. Why? <laughs> because his heart was tender to the Lord most of the time. And when Nathan came to him and told him the story, And he then said, this is what you should do. 
Nathan goes, you're the man. What did he do? Argue? No, he did not. (laughs) He repented. And maybe, maybe, God has got his finger on you today. And he's saying, whatever he's saying. And here's the opportunity to repent. Nobody else knows about it. Nobody knows what's in your head. Only God. And God says to you, to me, (laughs) repent. Turn back and turn to me. Are you willing?